committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome. I'm your hostess, Meredith Barca, for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas food landscape by gathering food-based stories from our residents. This project offers a taste of a living history that speaks to ethnic and racial cross-cultural connections. If we are what we eat, we are committed to highlighting the food-based culture and history of the city. In this spirit, let's begin a conversation on food justice as community action with our guest, Adriana Wilcox. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, about where you're from, just to get uh, our guests to get to know you? Sure. Um, I am born and raised in El Paso, Texas. Um, I lived for a small stint in Phoenix, Arizona, where I met my husband. So I moved out there in 99 when I was about 16, maybe even early 17. Uh, it was my first time living outside of the household. <laughs> and I lived out there for about seven years. Uh, we moved back in 2005 um, with a two-year-old daughter. And her name is Samay. She's 16 now. And I have a, an eight-year-old daughter, Camille, who's eight. Um, and uh, I'm my family's all from El Paso. Uh, my mom is actually originally from Puebla, New Mexico, um, she moved out here when she was nine, and my dad is from Chihuahua, um, and I'm not sure how old he was when he moved out to El Paso. Um, so I, I was born in the home of immigrants. Um, I am also adopted, so my adopted mother lives in Florida. Um, she's She's got her own taxi cab company, so I guess I get my entrepreneurial spirit from her. <laughs> and yeah, that should do it. Okay, so you consider El Paso home? Oh, Yes. Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, let's talk about food and, mm -hmm. and your adventures in food. Um, particularly, uh, you've mentioned that the, this notion of social entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, actually, let me backtrack for a second here. Before we do that, let's just talk about how you got involved in, in interest in food and food justice. Okay. Um, I understand that you lived in Arizona for a while in one of our previous conversations. Yes. And you mentioned something very particular. I think it was called apartment missionary work. Yeah, so it was a it was an organization called uh, Apartment Life and we were called CARES team members. So basically the strategy was um, it was a nonprofit organization um, and we would get contracted through a local apartment complex that was looking to um, enhance the community aspect of their complex. So instead of having a position dedicated to doing that, um, they would offer up a, um, a apartment complex for a live-in CARES team. So me and my husband, we lived on site. We had a $150 budget that we used to basically make food to get people to come out of their apartments and hang out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we did a bunch of different stuff. I mean, it helps when your partner's a chef because people will come for free food. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's easy to get people to come out of their homes for free food. Um, and then we would have events. We'd have, uh, you know, stuff for kids and we would um, do parties and different um, holiday foods and stuff like that. So it was really cool. Uh, we had a really neat opportunity to really get to know um, our neighbors and to, um, just build community there. I think that's really what started 
um, our community emphasis and what we wanted to bring within our own establishment. So it was, it was really neat. Do you have any any memories of, of particular kinds of dishes or, or, or events in this in Arizona? Yeah, well, there was one time, it's kind of funny. Um, we had decided to do like breakfast on the go for all the residents. So we had like an entrance and an exit. It was only one entrance and one exit. So uh, we got up at like 5.30 in the morning and we had packed like lunches so that we would, we would stay at the gate and um, kind of wave down the resident and they would roll down their window and we would just say, hey, have a good morning. This is complimentary for the from the apartment complex, from your CARES team. And we just want to make sure you all have a good day. And then I would say about like an hour later, a policeman showed up and had said that somebody had called and said that we were selling drugs <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to the neighbors. And we're like, no, man, there's like an apple and a Orange juice and, you know, <laughs> we're just giving away some free food. So uh, it was it was kind of funny. Like, you know, we'd run into kind of little situations like that. Um, but at the same time, we also got to really get to know our neighbors. And, you know, there'd be times where our neighbor would be locked out of their house and maintenance was closed. And so we'd kind of like, all right, well, we could probably contact some people and um, help some folks. And then we started doing kind of like um, tutoring classes at, at after school programs for for kids. And so it was really neat. We we tried to be creative with trying to provide services and get to know our neighbors. And food was always the mecca of every any kind of event we put on. And what was the, the makeup of, of the community in the apartment in terms of ethnic background, in terms of socioeconomics? Um, so, you know, I didn't really have that information. Um, but I mean, it seemed pretty diverse. We had, a, like, from what I remember, there was some young families, there was some single men, there was some old, older single women. So it was a pretty diverse group. Um, the demographic, it was kind of in the outskirts of, of uh, Phoenix, and um, was more northern Phoenix and so not southern Phoenix. Southern, you'll have a lot. The demographics are a lot more lower income and and so forth. So it wasn't. Um, it would I would say it's pretty middle class area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you began your, your food um, uh, outreach, so to speak, with with working in this uh, apartment missionary. Yeah, it was called Apartment Life, apartment Life. and it was um, it was a faith based uh, nonprofit organization. Okay. Um, so the intention was to kind of spread the word of of Jesus, try to get people to go to church and so forth. But really, um, the main in intention behind it all was to build community. And that's kind of, we didn't put a lot of focus in like numbers and, you know, and that type of thing. Um, we really just tried to be available to people and try to get to know people. And we had a lot of people that were very lonely. Um, there was some folks that didn't have um, families to spend the holidays with. So we definitely created events for folks that were, that didn't have that. And we, we would have some show up, um, and it was that part was really nice, you know, to to make sure that everybody needs kind of everybody needs communion. I think I think people need to be um, to partake together. Wonderful sentiment. So that was in Arizona. Then you moved to El Paso. You and your husband moved to El Paso, and I understand you have a background in business. I um, do. At one point in, in a conversation we had off of the the radio, you mentioned or you define yourself as social entrepreneurs. Yes. Now, I was wondering if you can tell us what what is a social entrepreneur, and specifically, what does it mean to be a social entrepreneur in the contents of food, particularly in issues of food justice. 
Sure. So a social entrepreneur is just like any entrepreneur. It's generally a startup. Um, and it's somebody that utilizes their platform and their startup business to also address some type of social need or some type of social issue. Um, and that can come in many different forms. Um, since we're so familiar with food and since Roman's background is, is food, um, it just was natural for us to kind of go into um, making sure people had access to food because we, you know, at the end of the day, healthy food and access to it, it it's it's a human right. I, I, we don't feel that it's something of privilege. Um, and you see that a lot, <laughs> you know, so we really wanted to um, use our platform to, to ensure that everybody had that access regardless of means or circumstance or background or socioeconomic issues or, or whatnot. We wanted those barriers to be broken down. Um, and we really wanted everybody to be able to have a place at the table. And when you say you, you wanted it to, to be a platform where, where food is accessible to everybody, what are some of those platforms that you've developed? I mean, can you give us some examples as to, for instance, I know that the notion of paying it forward is very key to the restaurant that you mentioned, One Grab Community. Right. Um, can you tell us more about the specific kinds of um, uh, manifestations of this of this desire of yours sure. to, to, sure. to for so, access? So when we first started, we were kind of trying to figure out, well, do we do we start a nonprofit? Do we just, you know, run our own business and have, you know, kind of like a program that gives back to the community? And I think in the beginning, we really wanted to have something that was ours. Um, we've, we've dabbled enough into nonprofits to kind of know that, you know, there's once you have a nonprofit, it's not really yours. You don't get to make all the decisions and you don't every there's a lot of red tape to um to come up with new ideas, and it can be kind of limiting. So I think in the beginning, um, we weren't quite sure what it was going to evolve to, but we did know that we want to give back to the community. Um, and it was just a lot easier to start a for-profit business because there's a whole lot <laughs> that goes into nonprofits um, that we just weren't familiar with. Um, so we uh, decided that we would start a for-profit and that we would have a pay-it-forward model um, which would basically allow us to make sure that people that needed access to healthy food received it. And so um, at, at the time, we started off as a food truck. So our food truck, um, we it was a, a loaner from a friend. Um, and I had uh, left the city and I had um, pulled out a small retirement. And we got it fixed up. And um, we decided to both take it on full time because Roman was getting too busy to to manage it on his own. And um, and so when I left the city and, and we fixed it up a little, it broke down about a month later. And so um, the really cool thing about that food truck, though, is be being that we were mobile, um, and at the time we couldn't really have volunteers because there's not a lot of room on a food truck. Um, so what we would do is we would set aside um, a percentage of our sales and any tips that we received. And uh, we would use those funds to have like an on-site catering at some of the shelters in, in downtown El Paso. Um, and just to give you some ideas, we did um, some caterings for the Annunciation House, which houses our refugees. We did uh, a couple of caterings for the Opportunity Center for the Homeless, which they're kind of campus style. They have um, facilities for all kinds of demographics from um, single men, single women, um, the Casas de Abuelitas, they have mentally disabled, physically disabled. So they have this campus style um, 
footprint of different different uh, shelters that we would kind of rotate our our um, catering caterings for. So we would basically show up on site. We had a menu. They could order off the menu, and that was a really neat thing that I probably would have never. Um, gathered on my own was we had one resident and this was at a woman's shelter that that we did um and she came up to me afterwards and she's like you know I've never been able to pick what I want to eat and <laughs> and it was just really like I would have never even thought like because you just don't think of those things you know unless you're in that situation um so that was really cool and so the food truck did break down and we were kind of like, oh man, what are we gonna do now? <laughs> and we did have we did have a weekly um setup at the downtown farmers market. Um and at the time the volunteer coordinator, she knew that our truck was broken down and we weren't quite sure how we were gonna make ends meet or what to do. We didn't have enough capital to start um a, a brick and mortar ourselves. I mean, you need a lot of money for a brick and mortar. Um and so we were kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. And she had mentioned, well, why don't you guys just set up a tent and sell? Um, we could do packaged food. So you can't cook on site on a tent. The health department doesn't allow you to do that. It has to be inspected. So we had a commercial kitchen that we were cooking out of. And then we kind of turned into this like mobile deli. So we had plant-based meats, plant-based cheeses by the pound. Um, and then that started to kind of grow and and become popular and we were having sellout weeks it was really great you know the downtown farmers market is really really an awesome um space it's it's a place where you can see what new businesses are forming in el paso it's a way to give back it's a way um, it was definitely a small business incubator for us um, it gave us an opportunity to learn our market and to try new things and to kind of test things out and see what worked and what didn't um, and that's what really kept us alive until we found out we found our our space and the home that we're in now, which is uh, inside First Christian Church at 901 Arizona Avenue. This is one grab community. Yes, this is one grab community. Let me take you back a, a few steps. Could you say a few things that I would think our our, our audience would might want to know more? When you say you started catering from the food truck with the tips and and so forth. Was that free? I mean, will you go to the home shelters um, and just park yes. the truck and offer free, free food to everybody? That's correct. So basically, we would uh, set aside. At the time, it was a percentage of sales, and it was also tips. So we let that percentage and those tips compile. And then we're like, okay, we have enough to feed about 50 people, 60 people. And so we would contact the shelters, find out how many residents there were, Um and then we would we would cater an, an on-site um, meal for for folks, so it was completely paid for. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Another thing that you mentioned, um, just as a point of clarification, you said you left the city. What does that mean? You left the city? Yes, I'm sorry. So I worked for the city of El Paso. So that was my first job um, after graduating with my business degree. Um, I started with the city in 2012. It was a year after I had my second daughter. Um, and I was pretty much uh, getting promoted. It was going really, really well. I was going back to school also. They were paying 80% um, of my tuition. And I think just as I got promoted, it w they were working less and less with my school schedule. Um, and Roman was starting up his business. And I was kind of starting to feel like I wanted my work to contribute 
more than what it was. I wanted to have more of a direct connection with my community. And I know that sounds crazy because the city of El Paso does a lot of great work. Um, I just wasn't in the departments that really um, provided the services that I that I felt that I wanted to be involved with. <laughs> so, so that's what I mean by I left the city. So I had pulled out my retirement from the city. Um, to help fix up this truck that only lasted about 30 days after I left. So, so the, the food truck, which is where the, 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 the joint business, the joint food business for you and Roman, only lasted for about a month. Yes. And then you went to the farmer's market. Um, right. And you built networks there. You, we did, yes. We built a lot of networks there, especially with our local farmers. So um, another cool program that came out of the downtown farmer's market while we were there was um, – there was uh, the volunteer coordinator at the time, um, and I, along with other staff from the Museum and Cultural Affairs Department, that's the department that oversees the downtown farmer's market, um, they had applied for a grant through uh, the USDA, and it's a local food promotion type of grant. And so their proposal, um, which had several different aspects, but the one that we were involved with was called the Local Food Promotion uh, Food Co-op. So the idea behind that project was that local farmers were going to drop off produce with us, with Roman and I, um, and we also had UTEP interns that would help kind of check in the produce, make sure it was all good. They would give us pricing, and then we would sell it on behalf of the farmer at the downtown farmer's market. The idea was that that farmer was to go to another market. So it was increasing their revenue. It was basically promoting our local food economy. But it was also creating additional points of access. Um, and so that's what had why Roman and I jumped on board with it was because we really are passionate about creating more access, um, promoting more local food. Um, so for us, what we had to do is handle the finances of it. Um, and uh, we would turn around and cut the, the, uh, uh, the growers a check at the end of the month. So we would absorb the merchant fees. Um, we would handle the finances, and they just had to come and drop off food, and and hopefully it was it seemed like it was a really good project for them as well. And if you had leftover food that, that didn't sell, what happened to this food? Yeah, so we that happened periodically. That happened pretty often. It wasn't a ton of food, but uh, it was a decent amount of food that would that wouldn't get um, purchased. So a lot of the farmers, um, even though they're local farmers, they work in the vicinity. I mean they. In order for it to be considered really local, I think it was like a hundred mile radius. Um, so there would be some farmers that wouldn't want to come back to pick up their produce. So we would donate it to the shelters. Um, and we're, and working with shelters, you know, we came to realize that um, food access is really tough in the shelters as well. Even though they are given, um, you know, some of them are given three meals a day. Um, a lot they don't have a lot of refrigeration space. Um, so they depend on a lot of shelf-stable products, which tend to be really overly processed and not the best foods for you. And they were really lacking fresh produce. Um, so it was a really great program to be able to drop off locally sourced pr fresh produce that was like picked that morning. <laughs> you know, that was something that they didn't generally get their hands on. Um, so that was a really cool program to be able to um, repurpose that that food back to those communities. If you're interested in learning more and getting involved in a food justice cause within El Paso area, you certainly can contact Adriana Wilcox at One Grab Community. 
You can also find other ways to actively engage by joining organizations such as Apostolans Fighting Hunger and La Semilla Food Center. These organizations are committed to developing food systems that address a community's needs for access to good and healthy food, irrelevant or socioeconomic class, gender, ethnicity, and age, or citizen status. Let us get back to our guest, Adriana Wilcox, to continue our conversation on food justice as a community action. So we have the food truck, we have the farmer's market, and eventually we end up in one grub community. Yes. We end up with a restaurant that specializes or focuses in all plant-based yes. food that has this system of paying it forward, um, volunteerism, uh, volunteers come and help. Can you tell us how we end up, how you got there? Sure. So we were, um, we had been looking for a space for quite a while. Um, and as I mentioned, we didn't have um, much capital other than the small retirement that I had pulled pulled out that I had already kind of put into this food truck. So uh, w we were looking for, um, we were on the hunt for a space of our own. And as we were looking, it, it was really coming down to the fact that we needed to find something that was already restaurant ready. Um, just because the equipment itself is so expensive that you really do need some capital um, to access it. So there was a couple of places in town we would go and we'd look and we were just kind of coming up dry. There wasn't much out there. And um, we had heard that the uh, – so First Christian Church, uh, Roman worked there at a community cafe several years back. Um, and we had heard that that cafe was moving to another location uh, further west, I believe. And so since Roman had worked there, um, we had gone – we had gotten in contact with um, the – uh, the church folks there and had asked if what they were going to do with the facility. You know, we were interested. We're looking for a space, and they shut it down. <laughs> they were like, "No, we're not. We're not going there." And so we're like, "Okay." So we continued our search, and I would say about a month later, um, they they reached back out and asked us to um, to talk with them, and and they wanted to hear what our proposal was. So um, we we were familiar with the facility. Um, they have, uh, it's basically like a 3,000 square foot facility, kitchen included. All the kitchen equipment was there. Um, they also have a garden on site. And they had a community garden at one point um, that dissolved and fizz fizzled through. Um, so they had these unattended beds. They have about 44 of them currently on site. Um, so there we were just kind of thinking that there's so much that we could do with that space that's just so particular to that space. There's not, it's not every day that you come by, one, a space that already has restaurant equipment, but two, with a garden on site, three, something that large, you know, it was just kind of like a unicorn of a space, you know? So, so once, uh, once we had a chance to sit down with them, Roman and I really started kind of putting our brains together and figuring out, okay, what, what could we do here? Um, and so that's where our program started kind of developing. So um, for one, one group community, um, that's our for-profit business. The way we've kind of figured out how to separate the two and how to make them kind of support each other is, is this. So one group community um, provides all the food. 
Um, we have a pay it forward program. So that allows um, basically anybody can come into our facility during our business hours and they can volunteer with us at least one hour and one grub will donate or sponsor the meal to the nonprofit. So you volunteer with the nonprofit, one grub sponsors the meal. Um, and we did that. We, we did. We went the nonprofit route because our fundraising was really slow. It just took a while for us to raise enough funds to be able to provide um, free food to these shelters. And and honestly, I think that was where our passion and our heart was really more emphasizing. Like we that was that was filling up filling us up more <laughs> than anything. So we thought, you know, if we do, if we get into the nonprofit world, well, then that will open the door to grants and partnerships and donations. And we felt like we could serve our community so much more and so much further um, through a nonprofit. Um, so that's uh, where Planty for the People has come to be. So in Planty for the People, that's P-L-A-N-T-Y. I know it's like a made-up word. It's kind of weird. But it's kind of a play on words, you know. So our whole our whole thing is food access. We want to make sure that there's plenty for the people. We're plant-based. So there you go. Planty for the People. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's our Pay It Forward program. Um, now, Planty for the People is has been dormant for some time mainly because it's taken a lot for us to um, figure out all the logistics behind running a nonprofit, which, you know, we run into new things to learn every time. Um, but there are three programs in total, including the Pay It Forward program. Um, so Planty for the People, its main purpose is to create a space that enhances community, that invites community, and that feeds community. So um, we want to learn together and we want to eat together as well. Um, so the ways in which we do that is you can volunteer um, in our garden area. We have an on-site horticulturist. She's a volunteer. Her name's Stella. Um, she also goes by the Cactus Lady. She uh, works at the downtown farmer's market as well and has her booth. And she's super knowledgeable in all things cactus and plants and growing. And she's just a wealth of information and we're so lucky to have her. Um, she volunteers with us every Wednesday from 9 to 12. Um, we have about anywhere from 12 to about 18 volunteers every Wednesday. So it's a, it's a pretty big group. Um, we're going to be – it's that whole portion is going to be evolving. It's going to become more instructional-based. Um, really what we're wanting to do is educate the community and get them comfortable to grow their own food. That's really the basis behind it. So um, we have, like, as I mentioned, we have 44 garden beds, um, all in different stages. I have sprouts. I have some uh, plants that have been there for four years. I have um, plants that are in between seasons. We have a three-compartment compost bin. Um, our kitchen is fully educated on what can and cannot be composted because um, there's some things you can't compost. I don't know if you all know. <laughs> For instance, uh, anything citrus will completely change the pH level in your compost. Um, so there's a lot to know, a lot to learn. Um, and so right now um, we plan to hopefully add on another day. I know not everybody's available on Wednesdays, um, but as we grow, we'll have more opportunities for education in the garden. And then uh, we also have food edu education. So Roman does plant-based cooking classes. That's a really cool program that we've just kind of started to dip our toes in. 
Um, but we have a partnership with uh, UTEP's Golden Age program, which is really cool because they have just a demographic that doesn't naturally come into our doors every time. So they work with folks that are 50 and up, um, and they provide um, really well-rounded wellness uh, education. So from nutrition, they have a, a, a physical trainer on staff that um, takes them through different workouts and regimens and stuff. Um, and then we teach plant-based cooking classes. I know they have other uh, cooking instructors as well. And so they provide a, a sponsored or subsidized uh, um, pricing off of um, the admission for the cooking classes. So we have like a general admission prices. It usually rains, ranges somewhere between $30 and $45 per person, but it does include food. And we, we always make sure whatever we're doing, we, we're eating. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, you it's not like where you just go and you watch the chef cook. It's like everybody has their station and everybody has their, it's a hands-on interactive class. It's a lot of fun. Roman's a great teacher. He makes it really fun. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'd like to really see those classes kind of take off. But like I said, right now we're, we're, go we're getting with, the, we're getting, going about them a little slow. We're, do we're in the learning process of how we're going to make it all work out. Hopefully, when people hear this, they will come in and ask you for more more ways of connecting and, and, and developing more networks. In another conversation we had, going back to the gardens or going back to Plenty for the People, um, I understand that one, one of your visions for it is to have a place where you sell. Yes. Food. Yes. So uh, that's how, how our, would that work? Right. So that's our third program. So it's the Pay It Forward it's education, so education in the garden, education in uh, cooking. And then the third one is our local food promotion. Um, so like I said, we have a really big space. Um, we're going to dedicate about half of it to, to a retail portion. So since we've had the opportunity to network with local growers, um, and basically, you know, that program that I mentioned with um, MCAT where they – um, where we had the local food uh, co-op booth. It's basically the same concept. So now that we have a space, we're located in the same area. Now, right now we're in the 79902 zip code. Um, we're right on the outskirts of downtown. Our demographic is super diverse. We've got your working professionals. We have residential, the you know, our residents in the area. There's El Paso High Schools right up the street. We get a lot of folks from UTEP. Um, so we have a really diverse group. Um, and that particular area doesn't have any grocery stores. Um, the closest grocery store is about two miles away, and it's all uphill. It's on Stanton. It's Albertsons. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's really not much of anything. So if you're a resident in the area and you're low income or you don't have transportation, um, having access to fresh, healthy food is like it's, it's really tough out there. Um, there was a couple grocery stores that have since closed down. Um, and then you have like your little mom and pop, little bodegas, they call them, um, throughout the downtown, kind of outskirts of downtown. Um, and, you know, those like, you know, they have, you can get like a 40, a pack of cigarettes, some hot Cheetos. If you're lucky, you'll find an apple or a banana or a zucchini. Um, but they're just super minimal. Um, so we'd like to, you know, offer our space up to be able to provide access to to better foods so that the community can partake in that. And then, you know, as a food establishment, we can um, we can apply to become a uh, 
SNAP retailer. So that means that we can accept EBT, food stamps, um, on behalf of the farmer, which is really cool because there's a lot of red tape to that and um, not everybody's going to go through that red tape. So uh, so we're happy to do it. Um, and then also as a food establishment, we can make plant-based um, ready-to-eat meals that need – well, they're not ready-to-eat, excuse me. They would be – they need, would need some kind of preparation. So like we can make a family-style lasagna that you take and bake and because it's not cooked off, it qualifies for food benefits. So we can tackle those convenience foods and provide that. That can also be purchased um, through SNAP benefits. So we're just kind of trying to think of, you know, what what can we do? What can we do with the space? What can what kind of programs can we put out there that might be beneficial? And um, that's kind of the start of of where we're headed. So hopefully, we learn a lot more along the way. <laughs> right, right. So for the third stage where you will be selling food, um, will you be selling the products from local farmers, but also the ones that you are growing in the gardens? That's a great question. So about the garden. So the property itself sits on about, it's we sit on an acre, or excuse me, on a full city block. I don't know how, I don't know the square footage. It's a, definitely a full city block though. Um, and I would say right now about less than, maybe like a fourth of it is dedicated to, to growing food. Um, we are going to be expanding our gardens. Um, we were working with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, which is another great organization. Um, they have funding for community gardens. So if there's anybody out there interested in starting their own community garden, they're a wonderful resource. Um, they have helped us revitalize our garden beds. Um, and in the next coming year, we're going to be submitting um, a proposal to expand to the end of the block. So we'll turn um, 44 garden beds into um, almost 70. So we're going to be growing a lot of produce. We're going to be growing a lot of food, and I think more so than what we'll need in the kitchen. Um, so I've been kind of teetering back and forth on whether or not we're going to sell it. Um, what I would like to do, it, it really kind of comes down to um, – if, if we can make it work, you know, it's making those puzzle pieces work. And that kind of goes back to being a social entrepreneur. You know, that's, uh, there's a whole caveat uh, that you have to fit into there. It's not just profit and, you know, and making, making the ends meet. It's also, you know, funding for your program aside from, you know, the profit and making ends meet. So it's, it's, it's an added, um, caveat that you've got to work out. Um, but, you know, if you've got some creative ideas and and some great volunteers and people on board, it, it can definitely work. So what I would like to do is get the produce in the hands of people that need it most. So coming up with some kind of program where volunteer hours can equal a percentage of produce is, would be like the absolute goal. Um, it's just a way of finding out how to make that all work, maybe through granting and so forth. So we're still in the stage of working out those logistics. But that would be awesome if we could just have it have it be that, you know, you do so many hours, you get a percentage of the harvest. What about something like, um, let's assume somebody who doesn't really need uh, the food because they can afford it, but would like to volunteer some time. Could their volunteer work be translated to offering certain food to a home shelter or, or something like that? Could, could that be a possibility? Let's assume that I come and volunteer and say, you know what, I don't need the products. I'm, I'm okay. But I want to volunteer my hours right? so that what I grow can go to 
well, a homeless I, shelter or, or something, the immigrant program, somebody else right. would need it probably more. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, once... Once the program is there, I mean, what you do with the produce is rich. You do with the produce, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I I'm excited to see what kind of unfolds with with uh, our ventures, with our expansion on the garden and the produce and all of that. Um, but we definitely it it needs to it needs to happen. Those those uh, facilities definitely need more access to fresh produce. Um, we've seen it firsthand. So that's a, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple other questions. Um, what led to a plant-based food? So that's a really good question because it wasn't it wasn't Roman and I. It wasn't the way that we ate at home initially. Um, when we first started, on the food truck was not a hundred percent plant-based in the very beginning. Um, I would say like the first month or two, um, we had like a a protein option that was a, an animal product protein option. And it's just because we were kind of scared. <laughs> we weren't sure if people were going to, were going to like be into it or not. So it was, it was kind of our fail safe, you know, like, well, there's a piece of chicken if somebody needs a piece of chicken. Um, but, you know, as we, as we were in business, we started seeing how many people um, were wanting to eat vegetarian or vegan and they couldn't go anywhere and they didn't have the access. And so um, also the, at the downtown farmer's market um, is where we, where we really kind of were able to play with what worked and what didn't work. And so if we could get somebody to taste it, that was all we needed. We just needed to taste it, you know, <laughs> because there is, there, there was a lot of this like preconceived notion that vegan food is like cardboard or it just, you know, it tasted awful or okay, if it's healthy, it probably tastes bad, you know, so it was a lot of fighting against that. And, you know, we were making food that we grew up eating here. It was pozole and it was, you know, um, tacos and enchiladas, but then it was also other stuff. Like we also had Greek food and Asian food. So we really wanted to like mix things up and offer um, plant-based meals that were familiar and loved. And um, But we just wanted to say, hey, you, you know, this can be really good. You don't need animal product for it to be delicious, you know. And, and that's all we wanted to show. You don't need it. It's, it's still it's still good. It's still going to be, um, the flavors are still going to be there. It might be a little, some things are a little different. I mean, like you can't, I don't know. I've, I've had like the vegan bacons out there and I don't think it's the same, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's still good. It's still enjoyable, but I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say it's bacon, you know? So, um, but no, I, I think it's, it's really neat that, um, El Paso has really opened up to, um, vegan and vegetarian, uh, cuisines and there's you know now whereas you know we were initially the f the first uh, food business to have a 100% plant based menu um, now there's a couple you know there's lick it up is one I know um, Moonzy Cafe lick it up lick it up Moonzy Cafe um, La Ruda she does uh, um, chilaquiles and they're 100% plant based. What else? There's there's a couple of spots now. Uh, Same Vegan Treats, that's where we source all our um, desserts from. She's 100% plant-based. So it's cool. It's making its way up there. That's great. <laughs> in, in the classes, uh, the cooking classes, is one of the uh, option, um, goals to introduce people to local food products that most of us don't realize that we can eat, like, like nopales, like 
verdulagas that just grow as weeds. Is, is that part of the project? Well, we definitely love having people try new things. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if that it's ne necessarily um, – We, I think I just enjoy people trying new things. Like we have different fruits that aren't grown in El Paso, but because people don't try it, it's like, here, taste this, taste this. You've got to, you just have to expand your, your palates. You know, <laughs> I had a friend that ate nothing but Mexican food her whole life. And I'm like, how, why? You know, there's so, I mean, Mexican food is delicious. Don't get me wrong. I grew up on it. I, that's, I mainly eat Mexican food, but there's so much out there. You know, so just kind of ex making people step out of their comfort zones when it comes to food. People are so personal when it comes to food is so personal, you know. Um, and so it's really neat to get people to try new flavors, try new things. Um, so, I mean, so yes, that is, it is part of something that we like to do. We like to make sure people have good food experiences. That's great. The topic of our, of our podcast today is this notion of food justice as a community action. What does that mean to you? I would say that it's it, it encompasses everything that, that we do, you know, from, um, from learning together, from eating together. Um, it just is really well-rounded in building community. Hmm. You know, one aspect that I, that I always um, think of when I think of one grab community and especially the pain it forward, mm -hmm. um, To me, that seems like a, like a community action. Oh, yes. Because it's a co complete community effort to it, the core of it. Right. Because people come and eat and they put a little bit of money in, in, that, in that container. Right. Um, and then somebody else comes, doesn't have enough money, they can get it for that. Mm -hmm. It might seem like a small thing, but, but to me, that is a community gets, gets involved. I'm coming right. to have my lunch, and yet I can provide something. Right. For somebody else who cannot. Right. Um, And you know what? I've, I've come to realize, too, that, like, if you come into one group community, I mean, we we don't have servers. So, like, you come, you order, you pay up front, and then it's kind of a self-serve kind of thing. We have this uh, environment where, you know, even when people are done, they go and they take their food to the dish area, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and they, but then even knowing this, they still leave a tip knowing that it goes back into the community. Um, so it's it, it, it seems like, you know, it, a tip here and there really isn't a whole lot, um, but it adds up and it, it goes a lot further than I think most people would think um, because we do have a, a lot of volunteers. We have, you know, being in a church, you know, that's another thing. Um, I think it's kind of like a social norm for Um, some cultures and for some folks that are in trouble or they don't have place to live or they don't have any food, that they just go to the church, you know. So we've had that. We've had folks show up um, that are homeless and are asking for resources and that kind of thing. And then we get to talk to them about our program and what we offer. And, you know, we also know of a lot of other resources in the area. So it gives us an opportunity um, to partner with other communities Um, and with other organizations doing social services that we can send folks over to them. Um, so it's really interesting being in, in the, in this facility that we're in. It's, it, it does seem to really pull in folks that need help. And it also seems to pull in people that are willing to serve their communities as well. Yeah. What better space to, to serve the community than a church, <laughs> right? It was right. meant to be. Is there, As we are about to conclude our, our podcast, is there anything else that, that we haven't covered 
in terms of food justice, of there's a community, in terms of what one group communities is is engaged that you would like to share with us? Mm, I would like to um I I would like to just say that uh we are gonna be having a campaign to help us launch our uh our nonprofit Planty for the People and the other programs that um are just are are waiting for funding, basically. Um, so we'll be launching a, our campaign on December 7th. Um, and it's just going to be in like an open house kind of thing. We're going to have food. We're going to have a campaign video that really kind of condenses everything that we're doing and all our programs and how people can get plugged in. Um, but I, th I think that uh, once the year's up, come the next year, um, we're looking to really launch these programs and to get our, our retail space up and going and to get our gardens up and going in the expansion. Um, and I think we'll be able to serve a lot more folks after that time frame as well. And by next year, we mean 2020. Yes, Perfect. 2020. <laughs> thank you once again. We want to thank our guest, Adriana Wilkers, for sharing her knowledge of food justice as a community action, a much needed food-based topic for the border region of El Paso, Texas. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, professor of food studies and literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you. Thank you.